0: Sanctuary, can you put your hands together and help me thank God for Tamiya, for our worship team, for our band. Thank you all so much. Good morning, Sanctuary. Uh, My name is Edrin, Lee, pastor here at the Sanctuary. Uh, I want to take a moment again and welcome all of our visitors, our guests. If this is your first time with us here at the sanctuary. We thank God so much for you. Um, And we pray that this service would be a blessing to you. Um, If you've been uh, here in and out for a a little bit, uh, we thank you for continuing to check us out. We pray that um, if it's God's will, you would see this as a place where you can continue to grow in your faith. Um, And to our regular attenders and our covenant members, we thank God for you uh, we could not live out this bold vision um, that God has given us here as a church without you. Without you. And so thank you for being here with us uh, today. Can we just take a moment and pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the ways in which, God, you are calling us to know your love, experience your love, and then spread your love throughout the world. God, I thank you for this season that we've had to consider um, the anticipation of your coming, of your birth into the world. And God, I thank you for this moment today where we get to consider again um, the love that was the motivation for God sending you into the world. So today, oh God, I I pray for every brother and sister in this room, Um, regardless of what their experience was this week, regardless of what burdens or concerns they bring into this room, I pray, O oh God, that you would speak now clearly in such a way that they might hear from you. God, do what only you can do. Take your word and divide it into a few hundred different ways so that each person in this room would hear from you and know of your undying love for them. Father, we love you. And we are grateful that you first loved us. So be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Tara mentioned a few moments ago, we have been over the last four weeks, uh, this being the fourth week in a series called Christmas on the Block, Christmas on the Block, where we have been uh, considering together uh, what it means when Advent, when when. Uh, we anticipate the coming of the Messiah, and we specifically have called it Christmas on the block because in, in my mind, in my estimation, when I talk about the block, I'm talking about places that people have often uh, looked at and considered not worthy, um, places that, I, I, that people have looked at and seen as less than. People, places and people even um, that people have looked down upon and not not esteemed and not ascribed worth to. What does it mean when the Messiah, Jesus, the God of all creation in the flesh, Emmanuel comes to those people and those places? That's what we've been considering together over these last several weeks. And today, um, after talking about hope on the block, after talking about peace on the block, after talking about joy on the block, today we get to consider together love on the block. Love on the block. And the question that I'm going to be asking us uh, is, what happens when love comes to the block? What happens when love, eternal love, God's perfect love, comes to the block. Our text this morning comes from the Gospels as told by the writer Luke. And Luke paints a picture of a special meeting between Elizabeth, the mother-to-be of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother-to-be of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke says that these two women were relatives, perhaps distant cousins. And in our text today, they come together for a visit in Elizabeth's home. This meeting is blessed. This meeting is blessed because these two women are blessed. These remarkable women have been called by God. They've been chosen by God to carry out divine assignments, and they each carry within them a divine promise. Both women bear in their bodies children of promise, given wondrously by the Spirit, and these two women will join with God in bringing about God's redemptive plan. Luke chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that Elizabeth is carrying within her a son who would later be known as John the Baptist. John, you know, would be a forerunner of Jesus. He would labor and commit his entire life to making ready a people for the Lord. And then Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and 32 tells us that Mary carried within her a son who will be called Jesus, the Son of God, who would be the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. I want to take a moment to pause and just say again today that we as a church, we as a denomination affirm without without any qualification God's absolute call to women. Now, if you're here today and you're wondering where does sanctuary fit when it comes to women in ministry, this passage, among many other, affirms that God absolutely calls and qualifies, and uses women for his redemptive purposes. So if that's a a deal breaker for you, I want to offer a blessing as you go, because it's not up for debate here. God absolutely calls and affirms and uses his daughters for his purposes. In this passage, Luke allows us to witness that holy moment When Elizabeth and Mary, both blessed and both chosen by God, come face to face shortly before the birth of their sons. And this is an opportunity for us today to remember that throughout all of Luke's writings, both in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, there are two major themes that we see over and over and over again from Luke. The first is that God's good news comes for all people. That's a major theme that you'll see throughout all of Luke's writing. Luke widens the lens of who it is that we consider to be blessed by God, who it is that we consider to be called by God to serve God's purposes. Luke helps us to see that the good news is not just good news for those who can afford it. Luke helps us to see that the the, the good news is not just good news for those who speak the king's English well. The good news of Jesus is good news, not just for those of us who have initials before and after our name. Luke reminds us over and over and over again that the good news of Jesus must be good news for everybody. Everybody, E-R-R apostrophe body. I have to pause and say this is not an all lives matter kind of moment. That's not what Luke is doing for us. Luke is instead pointing us to the reality of God's unapologetic, uncompromising favor, especially for the outsider, for the poor, for the downtrodden, for the oppressed. And as my, my friend Joe Saxon says, the least, the lost, the last, and the lonely. God absolutely sends his good news and sends his son for all people. That's the first of Luke's major themes. The second major theme that we'll see and that will inform how we read this passage today is that Luke helps us to see that good news always leads to rejoicing. Good news always leads to rejoicing. Luke shows us over and over again God's people receiving the good news of God's love and responding with great joy. The good news, he says, always leads to great joy. And I'm not talking about the quiet joy today. There are times and places for quiet joy, but Luke points us to the reality that when Jesus arrives and Jesus brings the good news, there is a moving joy. You've got to move your hips and your shoulders. When Jesus shows up, there is a clapping joy. You've got to put your hands together on the two and four and the one and three. You've got to put your hands together. I'm talking about a joy that even causes us to break out in song and even, God forbid, in dance. This is important because God's people in those days were living in dark days. It has been 400 years since they had heard any prophetic word from heaven. God had long ago promised the Messiah But it was as if heaven had closed off its PA system. The spiritual leaders of the day were being ruled. Some were ruled by tradition and others were ruled by corruption. And the people were under the rule of of an overzealous, tyrant leader called King Herod. And so it's into that world that God sends a message. And who does God choose to send that message? God chooses two women who would play central roles in God's redemptive plan. And so, against that backdrop, I want us to look together today at God's Word Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse number 39. It'll appear on the screen. But if, if, if you have Bibles, this is one time where I need you to have your Bibles. We, we're going to walk through this quite a bit together. If you can pull it up on your phone, it'd be great to do that because we're going to reference it quite a bit today. Luke chapter one, beginning with verse 39. Here's what God's word says. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the Lord, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors. And then verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. And then returned home. Brothers and sisters, these were dark days for God's people. But the Lord sent his angel, messenger angel Gabriel, to come to Mary, and he informed Mary that she had been highly favored and that the Lord was with her. Mary didn't expect this visit from the angel of the Lord, and she certainly didn't expect that she had found any special favor from heaven. And so verse verse 29 of Luke 1 says that Mary was at first troubled, and she wondered exactly what the greeting meant to her. Gabriel sends this and tells her, first, do not be afraid. He, He tells her that she would conceive and give birth to a son who would be called Jesus. This son, he said, would be the Son of the Most High. He would be in the line of the King David and he would be given the throne and his kingdom reign would last forever. And Mary's response in Luke chapter one, verse 34, is, uh, is, is, is clear. And it's funny to me. Mary says, uh, how, player? That's the ESV, the Edron Standard Version. Mary asked the angel, and it's understandably so. She asked him how? How would this be? Mary is wondering, how would this happen? She was a young unwed virgin from a despised place called Nazareth. Mary saw herself as an outsider. She knew that people would look down on her when they heard this news. She knew that people had already been looking down on this place called Nazareth where she was from. And so Mary does what many of us do. She initially viewed her assignment through the lens of her disqualifications. In answering, Gabriel tells Mary, first, God has chosen you. All those things about you are true. And all those circumstances that that, that you have in mind might disqualify you in some other circumstance. But hear me, young sister, God has chosen you. God has called you. God will equip you and God will preserve you in the midst of it all. Gabriel goes on to tell Mary that the Holy Spirit would be on her. The power of the Most High would overshadow her. This holy child would be called the Son of God. And then he tells her something that informs her and encourages her. He says to her that her cousin Elizabeth, her distant relative, is also going to have a child. Elizabeth had been told that she was barren. She would never have a child. And even after it had been said that she was too old or barren to conceive, the angel says, your cousin, your relative, is going to have a child as well. The angel says in verse 37, for no word from God will fail. Verse 38, Luke chapter 1, Mary, hearing the angel's explanation, responds, and she first says yes. She says yes. She says to him in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And Mary's faithfulness is seen here in her willingness to say yes on the front side. She's willing to say yes, even though all the T's haven't been crossed and all the I's haven't been dotted. Mary says yes, to God's plan on the front side. And generation after generation of people have been blessed because this young, unlikely girl said yes to God on the front side. Verse 39 tells us that Mary's first response was to say yes to Gabriel. Her second response was to leave that place and immediately go to her cousin's Elizabeth's house. And she goes to Elizabeth's house, and an amazing thing happens. A praise party breaks out. Mary leaves that place where the angel is. She shows up at her, friend, her cousin's house and, and, and she, she greets Elizabeth and the baby inside of Elizabeth begins to do somersaults. The text says that the baby hearing Mary's voice began to jump inside of her. That is a joyful response. The baby hears Mary's greeting and has an overflow of joy. But that's not the only overflow of joy that we'll see in this passage. You see, Elizabeth is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit and her eyes are open to the reality of what's happening with her relative Mary. She she cries out in an excited voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you bear. She, She goes on to say, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Mary and Elizabeth get together. And they share the good news of what God is doing in their life. And, and I believe, brothers and sisters, we are looking at one of the earliest recordings of a worship service. Mary was over there doing her thing on the east side of St. Paul. It's right here in the text. And Elizabeth was over here doing her thing in North Minneapolis. And, and Mary heard news from the angel and Mary made her way to the corner of Broadway and Aldrich. And a worship service broke out. There was an overflow of joy. Mary brought the joy that she had and joined it up with the joy that Elizabeth had, and a worship service broke out. Somebody knows where I'm going with this, brothers and sisters. You could have stayed at home this morning and read a commentary on your own, you could have pulled up YouTube and sung some songs on your own. But you chose to take the joy that you had and come into this place with the joy that others had. And I believe when your joy meets the joy of someone else, there's a worship service that breaks out in this place. Listen, I've been praying for a long time and I'm not going to stop praying that we would increasingly become a place of joyful worship. That we wouldn't have to poke and prod you to say amen. That we wouldn't have to poke and prod you to wave your hands. That there might be some clapping in this building. That there might be some foot padding in this building. That there might be some amens in this building. And brothers and sisters, I believe we're going to get there. And I'm going to keep reminding you until we get there. Listen, I know. I know we're a multicultural church, and for some of us in the room, this is just not cultural for us. We don't make noise in church. I don't believe it. I've seen you at the Vikings game. You make plenty of noise. And so until you become comfortable making noise in this place, I just want to let you know there's going to be some joy overflow happening around you. And whenever you're ready, the invitation is yours to join us. Elizabeth heard good news from the angel and she began to overflow with joy. Mary received good news from the angel and she began to overflow with joy. And they came together and there was an ultimate overflow of joy. But there's one more, a special one. Mary's joy went to another level around verse 46. And that's where I want us to spend the rest of our time together looking at this morning. Mary comes to Elizabeth John hears the greeting and he does a little joy. Elizabeth hears the celebration and she begins to have an overflow of joy. And on this final Sunday of Advent, I want us to look together at Mary's joyful response because I believe it actually teaches us something, yes, about joy, but also about love. Here's what Mary says again, looking at the text. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, and Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. John has an overflow of joy. Elizabeth has an overflow of joy, but Mary has such an overflow of joy today that she breaks out in a song that we now call Mary's song. And although the writer Luke doesn't tell us that Mary sings these verses from 46 to 55, the words are clearly poetic. They come to us sort of like a New Testament psalm. The words were, in fact, so poetic that the early church began to sing them in honoring Mary, the mother of God. The song is widely known as the Magnificat, borrowing from the Latin word for magnifies, because when you look at this text, what Mary does is she magnifies who God is and she magnifies what God has done on our behalf. But this song is not just called the Magnificat. It's not just called Mary's song. It's also called an honor whim. It's called a song of the poor. It's a song that is sung from the perspective of people on the bottom. It's the song of those who depend on the Lord for deliverance. Brothers and sisters, this is a Negro spiritual, if there ever was one. This is a song that Mary sings from her place of being set aside, held as an outsider, rejected and despised, and she offers it up as worship to God. But This is also, and I'm sorry if, if, if this isn't deep enough for you, but this is, this is also a love song. It's something like an R&B song. Anybody grow up on R&B in the building? Listen, I... I, uh, you won't believe this, but uh, I didn't do a bunch of dating in high school. I I didn't do, (laughs) and so that gave me plenty of time to study R&B. That's all I'm going to say about that. And uh, I, I did a lot of research on love because there was no loving going on in my life. Uh, And so I I did kind of a study of Anita Baker growing up, did did quite a bit of studying of Anita Baker, did quite a bit of studying of Teddy Pendergrass, (laughs) did did quite a bit of studying on Luther Vandross and Whitney Houston. I I learned how to beg from Keith Sweat, any Keith Sweat fans in the room. I I did a lot of practice with Pastor Rose's favorite group, Casey and JoJo, y'all didn't even know that. If you ever do Sanctuary Trivia, that, those are Pastor Rose's guys. Did, did a lot of Drew Hill singing, and um, Cisco from the group Drew Hill, his, his kids go to my daughter's school, so it's kind of weird seeing him walking down the hallway. I'm like, I know your songs better than you do. <laughs> and so as I was studying this passage, this R&B came to me. And I want to suggest that Mary's song is just the Magnificat. Yes, it is also a song of the poor, but it's also a love song. Because when you listen to R&B music, there is a beautiful juxtaposition. There is a beautiful dance going on, a beautiful side by side. When you listen to R&B music, there, there is desperation. But there's also great desire. There's, there's agony. Like, if you don't come to me, I'm going to die. And then there's also great anticipation. I'm not making this up. Like, it's right here in the Bible. Y'all, you got to read the Bible like I read the Bible. See, R&B is all in the Bible. I'm talking about R&B, that kind of love that says, when I was with you, I I was doing well. But something changed. And it seems as if you went away from me. Things fell apart. And because things fell apart, I'm falling apart, baby. But wait until we're together again. Just wait until I get home. Everything is going to be all right. That, that's R&B. But that's also the gospel. That we were once in relationship, personal and perfect relationship with God. And somehow we strayed away from God. And the brokenness that we see in the world is because we walked away from God. God never walked away from us. And in our daily life, our life is a struggle of of desperation. If I can just get back to that place that has been lost, everything is going to be okay. And when we look at Mary's song, she's celebrating the fact that the brokenness and, and the distance that had once been there, those days are few and fewer and fewer. God is returning to us, and he does so in the birth of Jesus Christ. So Mary's song is a bit of a love song because it helps us to get a sense of what it's like when love finally comes home, when love finally comes to the block. You will never hear the gospel in the same way again. Listen, two things I'm going to say and then I'm going to take my seat. When love comes to the block, the poor and the lonely will be uplifted and the proud and the oppressed will be brought down from their thrones. That's what the text says. That's what the text says. When, when love comes to the block, the poor and the lowly will be uplifted, and the proud and the oppressive will be brought down from their thrones. When we look at Mary's song, God makes some promises to the lowly. God makes some promises to those who have been pushed to the side, those who have been rejected. God promises to the lowly that He will be mindful of them. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches over me. God promises the lowly that He will extend His mercy to them. He promises that He will lift them up out of the muck and the mire. He promises that He will fill their hunger, not just with food and drink, but with every good thing. Amen. And God promises that he will not leave, he will not forsake, but he will help the lowly just as he has promised. But God also offers some promises to the rich, the powerful and the proud, to the mighty. And he offers it as information, but he also offers it as a warning. He says he will scatter the proud. There's nothing wrong with being good at some stuff and having a sense of accomplishment about who you are. But if you are so proud that you puff yourself up, and then you sit on your throne and look down at everybody else, God has promised, I will scatter the proud. God promises the mighty that he will bring down oppressive rulers. God certainly appoints rulers over us and leaders to guide and steward his people. But God has promised to the oppressive, to those who use their leadership for their advantage, that I will absolutely bring down oppressive rulers. And God says to the greedy, I will send you away empty. Listen, nobody's hating on you having a little bit of coins in the bank. But if you're the kind of person who's all about gimme, 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 and you are the kind of person who co-signs systems that oppress the poor so that the rich can keep getting richer, God has said, I will send the rich away empty. Mary's song helps us to see that when love comes to the block, The poor and the lonely will be uplifted and the oppressive will be brought down from their mighty thrones. The second thing Mary's song helps us to see today, this love song, it helps us to see that when love comes to the block, we can all sing a song of love and liberation. When love comes to the block, we will all sing a song of love and liberation. I want to suggest today that we absolutely have to give Mary all of her props. We absolutely have to honor Mary and celebrate her as the mother of Jesus. But this is not just Mary's song that's being sung today. This this is not just Mary's song. In fact, scholars will tell you that, that some scholars don't even know if this is Mary's song at all. Because when you look at this song, the structure of it, the way it's laid out, It looks a lot like Hannah's song in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel? She was a well-to-do woman who was told that she could never have children. And God, after hearing her prayers, decides, I'm going to give you a child in your old age, and this child will be a prophet over my people. And so when you look at Hannah's story, it really mirrors a lot of Elizabeth's story. And some scholars are wondering, is this really Mary singing this song or is this Elizabeth singing the song? Now, I I haven't seen enough of the scholarship to believe that it's actually not Mary's song. But I want to say today that whether it's Mary's song or Elizabeth's song, it's also our song. They 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 may have said it first, but we're remixing this thing. It's also our song. You see, it it can't just be Mary's song. It's also got to be a song for every black mother whose heart flutters when she sends her black sons out into the world. It has to be a song of love and liberation for black mothers as well. It's got to be a a song not just for Mary or Elizabeth or uh, or Hannah. It also has to be a song for Miss Valerie Castile, the mother of Philando Castile. It's got to be a song for the mother of Jamar Clark as well. If it's truly from God, it has to be a song, not just for Mary, but for those mothers as well. It has to be a song for the mother of Tamir Rice and of Mike Brown and of Trayvon Martin. It's got to be a song for the mothers of young black and brown girls who are trafficked and nobody pays it any attention. It has to be a song of that mother down on the border whose children have been taken away from her and kept in cages. If this is truly a song from God, it can't just be Mary's song. It has to be all of our song. Maybe maybe they said it first. But when love comes to the block, God's word promises that we will all sing a song of love and liberation. So the question for us today, Sanctuary, is what is your song? What is the song that tells the story of what God has done in your life? What what is the song that you're singing that tells the story of God's great love for all of God's people? And this is not just an individualistic song. I'm wondering, what is the song that you're going to sing for what God is doing in North Minneapolis? What what is the song that you're singing for what God is going to do and is doing in the life of this church? Mary gives us a great starting place in today's text. Mary gives us a great template for how to write a love song, a song of the poor and the oppressed, an R&B song even. But the song doesn't end with Mary because the song, regardless of who sings it, always points us to the good news of the coming of the Savior. My brothers and sisters, today, as we read Mary's song, I want to end by just using a little bit of of, of change and changing the song from talking about just what God's done in Mary's life to offering up a blessing of what God will do in all of our life together. Verse 46, may our souls glorify the Lord and may our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of all God's children. From now on, generation after generation, will call all of us blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for all God's people. Holy is God's name. Father, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And thank you, O God, that you have given us a song, a song of love, a song of freedom, a song of liberation. And I pray, O oh God, that in this season of Advent, as we eagerly await your arrival, that you would help us to not just sing other people's song, but also to sing our own song of how you have blessed us and how you have kept us and how you brought us from a mighty long way. And, O oh God, I pray today that our lives would never be the same as we sing a joy, a song of joy and freedom. And God, I pray that the song that's being written in our hearts today would also join with the songs that are being written in the hearts of our brothers and sisters sitting next to us. And God, I pray today that together as the Sanctuary Covenant Church that we would increasingly sing your song over our lives and over the lives of our brothers and sisters here in this community. God I pray that more and more the song of North Minneapolis would be that love has lifted us. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters, God has lifted us now safe am i how safe are we god it's your love that has lifted us lord your love has lifted us when nothing else could help it was the love of god through christ jesus that has lifted us god would you assure us of that love over and over again And may we walk forward from this day forward in full assurance of that love. God, I pray for brothers and sisters in this room who have lived their entire lives never knowing that anyone loved them. I pray, God, that it would be transformative for them today to know that the God of all creation loves them with an everlasting love. So be with us now, O Lord as we continue in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.